Hello everyone and welcome back to Couch Potatoes. We know we haven't updated a lot, but we hope we can make it up to you with this episode. As always, I am Jose. This is Dylan. And I'm Liz. And today we're going to talk about uh, winter films that we are looking forward to or something that has caught our eye. As always, winter is always like that Christmassy time of year. But there's also the big Oscar films that are hoping to come up as well as sort of like the January, February dumps that people aren't necessarily looking forward to but before that um we kind of want to discuss uh i guess because it came around thanksgiving it's counted as a winter film i don't know if it's fall or winter but we're gonna go into mocking jay part two now um uh, i talked about part one a year ago with my friend misty from the khv podcast and um so i didn't necessarily get your guys' impressions on the series so before you went into this particular movie what did you guys feel towards it i haven't seen it yet so i still need or, to oh, watch it my bad that's okay <laughs> i mean i was really disappointed with part 1 i found it to be incredibly <laughs> boring i didn't see it in theaters i was watching <laughs> it on amazon and there were scenes that i really just wanted to skip and so Going into part two, I knew that automatically there was going to be some more action to it. So it really didn't mm-hmm. have to do that much to impress me over three. But I, I felt that it was sort of like The Hobbit. There was no need for the extra films. There was really a lot they could have cut down on Mockingjay part one and no. really just made a longer movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just, by chance, because... um. What you said basically did cover a lot of ground of what we said of part one, but did you read any of the books at all prior to seeing any of the movies? No, before the first film came out, after I saw it actually, I just kind of wikied it, because I really had no intention of reading them. Uh, A lot of my reading is kind of predetermined, since I do comic reviews and horror novel reviews. I rarely have Mm -hmm. time to pick my own reading, and it definitely isn't my type of book to read. So I I knew the plot going into all of the films. I especially knew the plot of the last one because if any of them really excited me, it was Mm -hmm. Mockingjay. I felt that it had the most mature and adult theme since the first movie, or since the first book. Okay. And um, like I said, it's recreating old ground for me. Like, again, the previous movies, the one that I like the most was uh, Catching Fire that I felt was a really inspired film. It deviated a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but it did deviate from the books so it made it feel like its own thing. Part 1 felt like it was just trying to appease the fans and you're definitely right that there was there's not a lot of material to warrant a part 2. Like, even looking at the books, the book itself is, like, I would say 50-60% filler. Like, not a lot really happens in the book. But even discounting that, there are a lot of big moments, but my biggest problem with the books, and it transfers over to the films as well, is that Katniss really isn't that well written as a character. She's kind of like what most people would write a strong female character, not understanding what it means to be a strong female character, as in she has all this strength, so that makes her strong, but she doesn't seem strong where it counted. And like I say, it transferred over into these films. Like, there is really only one thing that I was looking forward to in this coming movie. And I think they adapted that part well. It goes with the message. It's at the very end. But Oh, come on. It's I been out think over would... a month. I think we can do spoilers. Dylan, are you okay with spoilers? 
Okay, I'll try to keep this as concise as possible. Now, Coin in the books, immediately when you see her in the, in the beginning of Mockingjay, you very much get that she is Snow, but for the opposite side of the... Uh, yeah, it's my she's own basically fault Snow for the Rebellion. So she's exactly like away. Snow. So when Katniss kills her, it feels justified. It feels like something that's been building up. In the first half, they didn't really play that up in the movie. And then in the second half, they did play it up. But it felt like such an abrupt character trait that it wasn't really there that they felt like, okay, now we have to do this because it says so in the books. I mean, the way they did her death scene, I thought was really well done in itself. But with the movie, it felt like... I It did feel earned in a way, but it felt like the same way that they basically made her uh, um, kind of like that typical mustache twirling villain instead of something that's more deep. I think you can really tell the impact of losing Philip Seymour Hoffman in the second movie. There were definitely scenes where I'm just like, he was supposed to be in this scene. You could tell. And to an extent, mm-hmm. I think that affected the coin character because he's someone that definitely suspected it, whether that's in the book or not. You got it sort of in the first film that he was resistant to some of her ideas. And I feel that losing that actor, may he rest in peace, mm-hmm. the, there was definitely an impact. But Jose, no, I'm going to play the gender card. You don't get to talk about what defines a strong female character. I, I think Katniss, what I like about Katniss and what I liked about her in the first film is she's not likable and she makes stupid decisions sometimes. And frankly, I find that to be a much more it's a much better character written wise because there's some complexity to that like if you're yelling character for doing something stupid it's better than someone that pretty much has everything handed to her like everything is handed to her and she is total survivor guilt over it so that's one thing that i really enjoyed about that character is she knows everything works out in her way and hates it and she hates having that upon herself Okay, I'll give you that. The like I say, gender politics—it's not my thing. But even with that, I just—I just think, in my own opinion, that she's just a poorly constructed character, and it just goes from the source material. I mean, nothing like you say—that is something that's I like about her. I, that, Catching Fire is my favorite of the films because it does dive into that complexity of it. Because on paper, Katniss really isn't that complex, or at least. I'm influencing that from having read the source material. I kind of want to wonder if I hadn't seen that first, would I think the same thing, or would I feel as strongly about it? Well, but there's I think also something like a lot that... of filler with part one and two. Yeah, and I think that definitely affects the character because it's like, yes, we get it. You've already said that. Well, of course, he's already said that. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of stuff to fill in. But I think if you boil it down to her character, if you're not liking her at some points, that's a good thing. Characters that you constantly enjoy aren't complex. I, I, I would kind of disagree with that, but there was there's another thing that I want to hit on that they did in the film that kind of... It kind of really numbs me with the series, and that it kind of numbs me with a lot of teen uh, dystopian or a lot of teen films. They were still playing up the love triangle thing. Granted, they didn't play it up as much as they did in the previous movies, but I could feel like, because even though I've read the books, I haven't read in such a long time. 
but it played much more of a presence than I think it did in the book, and it played much more of a presence than I think it should have. But that being said, there is one moment at the end when she is talking to, I think it's Gail, mm-hmm. where it kind of like, that was a good emotional moment, I'm all. That hit really good, but I don't feel that it was earned that what we had it, what I saw in the rest of the film really made that moment feel completely earned that made that warranted that entire love triangle plot in this last film i mean it was really just there from the beginning there was no chemistry with liam hemsworth liam hemsworth it just Mm -hmm. didn't work and i i think frankly that was the problem is from the very beginning there was no way for you to have i mean i hate to say this but twilight did it better because there were people that liked edward and there were people like that like Jacob, no one was rooting for Gale. They did not establish mm-hmm. it in a way where you felt there was real tension because there was absolutely no chemistry between those actors. And that definitely takes away from the impact on the Gale quote-unquote twist at the end uh-huh. of part two. So as much as I'd like to give that to the writing, I think it really just comes down to there was no chemistry with the actors. And it also comes down to I believe Mockingjay Part 1 really affected the quality of the series in a whole and Part 2 because there was so much material that didn't need to be there that you felt constantly that you they were retreading it and they were bashing it over your head. And I, I think between that and between bad advertising, I think this had a really bad mm-hmm. marketing campaign, especially in regards to the twist with the sister. Because they had an entire yeah. trailer based on that. You know, people aren't talking about this movie anymore. It's been slightly right. less than a month, and people aren't talking about it. And I think that's, by doing four films, they exhausted the fans themselves. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, because um, uh, I'm going to hit on two things you said. Um, One thing, that trailer, like, yeah, the marketing has not been really that good. Like, I remember the marketing for part one, they did, like, this new thing where it was, like, capital propaganda commercials. I thought that was interesting, but for this, um, again, with the sister thing, they were playing that up in the trailers. Um, Part of me knew that they were more playing it up for the fans of the book, saying, like, hey, we're going to get you emotional for this, but... Again, if you had not read the book, it would make no sense. Well, no, it it would make sense in the worst way. Yeah. It's pretty much just like, oh, they're going to kill that character. Thank you. Because that's the only reason why you would do that trailer. Audiences aren't dumb. And I feel that that's sort of what they started to do. They did really well with the first one. The propaganda stuff for Mockingjay was great. The fact that they did car commercials... Mm-hmm. The, the tie-ins, it just, it really felt that they had run out of ideas, frankly. Well, yeah, and it can also be, like, this isn't even speculation, I'm thinking they're being lazy with it or anything, but even though, like, you say that this, no one's talking about it, and I agree with that, it's still, like, number one at the box office, granted we're recording this before Star Wars comes out, but it's still hanging on to that top place, and, um... I had another point to this. Um, that Oh, yeah, and part one, I think part one, they grossed their entire um, budget. Like, they were able to get the entire budget back, so everything they've made with the rest of their one in part one and in part two, it's just entire profit for them. So even though they did release because they would want a bigger profit, like, 
they're already in the green. It doesn't really matter. Oh, no, that's horrible. You do know that just making it, that's horrible. That's that's essentially not making a profit. So that means that part one did badly, and part two's, frankly, doing badly financially. Mm. You want to make at least half above. But you also have to look mm-hmm. at, like, what other movies are competing against. I mean, come on. The Good yeah. Dinosaur, Pixar had no chance with that. Creed is a small yeah. film. Krampus, Night Before, Peanuts movie. Of course it's still number one at the box office. Yeah. Exactly. And another thing that has come to mind for me is, like, it's a little thing, but kind of like, the Hunger Games, the very first film, brought in the popularity of the dystopian teen uh, genre. And I think with this, it's kind of marking really the end of it. I mean, we still have the end of the Divergent series, and we're getting that fifth wave movie, if that's going to be along the similar lines. But it feels like this genre, it's kind of dead, and it started and ended with The Hunger Games. I think they want it to be dead. Uh, no, they don't want it to be dead because there's those rumors about the prequel, which I guarantee you is not going to happen. And right now, the 100 mm. on CW is incredibly well rated. So I think it's they realize that it's dying and they want to resurrect it. Yeah. But I, I definitely think I... it's dying and no one wants it to because. Uh, Maze Runner has, what, two more films to go? I think so. Yeah, two more films to go. So there are definitely a lot of things in the work. I think it is more showing the death of expanding series longer than they should be. Yeah. And I know that there was talk about how part one was actually supposed to end with PETA attempting to kill Katniss and end there. Right. And then pick up with two. And I think that would have worked a whole lot better because it would have mm-hmm. been a better incentive for people to go to the theater quicker. Right. And I think it shows how hard it is to write these scripts when you are breaking up books that shouldn't be broken up. So if right. I see it as the death of I mean, anything, I see it as the death of excessive sequels. Yeah. And, it, like, again, like, in two ways, this reminds me of sort of like the Harry Potter thing. One, it's in the news, and two, just kind of how it broke up. When I watched um, the final Harry Potter movies, I felt that the way the first one ended, I couldn't wait to see that next part. Um, and even though it was like not going to even be a year, I, it came out in like November and the next part was going to be in July. Mm-hmm. But with Hunger Games, you had a year wait. And I think um, the rumored planned original ending for part one, I think that would have gotten the excitement where I would have gone, okay, I can't, I can totally wait a year to, and I can't wait to see what happens next. It's earned that year wait. Mm-hmm. But with the way it ended, just kind of on that note, it felt like, this is so, this so doesn't deserve, like, that year wait. I'm just gonna blow it off until, like, it's around the time for it to be released. Mm-hmm. And, like, two, with the prequel thing for that, you... Um, in the news, they just released uh, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, a uh, sort of prequel story. It's in the world of Harry Potter, set in the 1920s, and it's scripted by J.K. Rowling, although I'm pretty sure that because it is her first script, I believe she did write it, but she did have some help. Yeah, she wrote the script, um, but I don't think they're ever going to announce all the people that help with it. Yeah, but that, again, 
in the way that Hunger Games sort of wants to expand it, where they're telling, I guess, previous stories of different Hunger Games. They're telling a previous story in Harry Potter. But for some reason, that just works so much because Harry Potter, when you read the books itself, you don't even have to go on to Pottermore where it is an expanded universe. There is a sense of a bigger world in this entire story, even when you watch the movies. And when you watch the Hunger Games movies... You don't really feel like there is that bigger world out there that you want to explore. Yeah, and plus, I mean, Fantastic Beasts is canon. It, yeah. To, to a degree. I mean, it, the actual book itself isn't really narrative-based, but it is canon. And so I think that's why people aren't complaining the same way. Uh, because it is J.K. Rowling material, and whatever they do with the prequel, if they do it for the Hunger Games, isn't going to be canonical material created by the original writer. Even if they do bring her on right. to do the script, it's mm -hmm. an add-on. It's not something she intended. And yeah, there's definitely things they can cover. They can cover the initial rebellion. However, unlike in Harry Potter, where they made it interesting, these events that happened, where they talk of them in Legend, how they mm -hmm. handle the past in the Hunger Games is more expositional. It's like, this is why things are the way they are. And you never were like, oh, I wish I could see that. That sounds like an interesting mm -hmm. story. It, they never made the rebellion sound interesting. Yeah, exactly. It just wasn't an interesting plotline in itself. Uh, what do you think of all this, Dylan? I'm so what is it you got cut out? What would you ask? Well, I was thinking, what did you think of like this whole thing of... Um, the prequel stories, like with Harry Potter's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and with Hunger Games wanting to do a prequel. I think there's always a kind of an interest aspect of it that fans want to know more, fans want more. It's like Harry Potter fans, they're never going to let the story die. They want more. A prequel might just be enough to drag them back to make more money out of it. Same mm -hmm. thing Hunger Games. Like Liz talking about the Rebellion, the first Rebellion... There might be some kind of interest, might not be enough interest, but there's going to be some degree of interest where people want to know about the First Rebellion. So if you spark even the slightest bit of interest, you can create an audience for that. Well, as someone who's read the book, Jose, have you or mm -hmm. any of your friends ever said, man, I would love to mo know more about that? Because I personally have never heard any of my Hunger Games friends Good question. say that they'd be interested in more material, while I've heard plenty of my Harry Potter friends want to know more. <laughs> yeah, as for me, like, again, you, you don't get a lot in the books. I mean, um, like, in a way, there is an I want to know more, but it's more kind of, I want to know more of the world that's happening right now because I am so limited in this small story. Now, it could be that it's first per because it's first-person narrative, but it just felt like it the world wasn't all that planned out. But with Harry Potter, it was, I want to know more because I really want to explore this world. It feels like two very different dichotomies going on. So, um... I think that's all we can say on the whole Hunger Games thing right now. Like, the series has come to a close, as long if the prequels haven't... And it's like you said, they're probably not going to do it because there's been sort of like a bit of a backlash against it. But... I mean, Jennifer all Lawrence in all, I think, herself has said she does not want to be involved. Right. Which, in a way, is and, slightly incentive to me, because I am frankly tired of J-Law. Lover, I think she <laughs> is a good actress... But I feel that he's constantly mm -hmm. playing the same role, and right now I just want to break from her. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing, too. Like, 
if anything, like, as it feels like um, when you watch, like, the same, because, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna bring up Harry Potter again. When you watch Daniel Radcliffe or Emma Watson do anything, they've had to try hard to break away from that Harry Potter persona for, su- for such a long time because it's so associated with them. While for Jennifer Lawrence, when the series first started, I thought she was gonna tr- have to try hard to break from the Katniss persona, but... It could either be her versatility as an actress or the reaction of the films itself. But I don't think it's going to be that much of a struggle struggle for her to break away from it. She's not going to be defined as this one character. She's This is going to be defined as just another thing in her career. Well, that's like a good segue because she does have another movie coming out, uh, Joy, uh-huh. in December. And the reason why I say she plays the same character is she plays that whole sort of Strong, independent woman that's pretty prickly, you know? And, and yeah. yes, that's sort of a generic thing. But really, if you look at her characters, they all have that prickly edge, which isn't common with strong female characters. Like mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, a lot of it's based around their sexuality or different things like that. I don't feel like she's getting characters that gives us a chance to see anything else. Uh, for me, right. I would love to see her go to an extreme in, like, drama or be a victim to an extent. A victim that never becomes a strong woman. I'd like to see something that is so far different. And, I mean, yeah. with Joy, who is editing those trailers? Have you guys seen well, the trailers my... for Joy? Exactly. And I looking at the trailers and especially knowing, like, what the story actually I is. I have no idea. Like, the story is, and I've seen at least three different trailers. <laughs> well, according to, like, different from, like, IMDb, it's about the girl who made the, I think it's called the Magic Mop. So it's a movie about an industry what? thing. But the trailers do not hint at that at all. And I heard from someone who read the script for, like, they get they can read scripts because they're part of, like, film school and everything. Most of what's in the trailer is not in the movie. Now, there have been trailers that do put in scenes that are not in movies, but having the majority of your trailer being nothing to do with the movie is very misleading. It's going to backfire big time. It it brings me to, there is no other movie in December that I want to see besides in less than 24 hours I am seeing Star Wars. Besides that, there is literally no other... Yes, I know, 7 o'clock, IMAX 3D... (laughs) The world is great. There's literally no other movie I want to see in December. Like, I think everyone just wants these Star Wars, like, out of curiosity. Like, I am not the biggest Star Wars fan, but I'm kind of just curious in what it is. And that's the thing about Star Wars. Even if you're not that into it, you want to be part of that social consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, you're just not going to have a choice if you don't want it to be spoiled. You may not want to see it opening weekend, but you frankly don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah. Of course, if you didn't decide you wanted to see it opening weekend, you try to get tickets now, good luck. I can tell you that the city my of dad. Austin went bananas and getting tickets for... The only reason why I'm seeing it tomorrow night is, thank God, one of our friend's wives is making him have an early Christmas. And that meant he had to give <laughs> up Star Wars tickets. And he has my pity... Frankly, I would just be like, no, you hang out with your in-laws and I will be back in four hours. <laughs> but now I have the ticket. So, but yeah, I feel 
that even if you're not a big Star Wars fan, you're kind of forced to be a big Star Wars fan. Yeah. I mean, for me in my smart small town, like, the, the Star Wars thing has kind of been like a thing. Uh, what was it? Like, a month ago when they announced the release for tickets here in town, it was sometime later than the initial you-can-buy-the-tickets-now pre-order thing that the movie theaters made a big day of it. Like, this was something that normally didn't, th- that does not happen in this small town. They ha- I guess they had someone dressed up as Obi-Wan Kenobi, and just, everyone was there to buy tickets, and, like, I've been trying to tell my dad, who's kind of old school, he doesn't really believe in pre-purchasing, but he's really into Star Wars, and I've had to tell him, yes, this town is small, and we, but we only have two theaters, and that's the movie a lot of people are gonna want to go see, if you want to see it, you really have to pre-purchase a ticket, like, Again, it goes into that whole social consciousness thing that Star Wars has become. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've been building it up. I think if anyone has done a great marketing job, it has been not only Disney, but the actors themselves. John Boyega's Instagram is so funny. You can tell he has such a love for this. And Mark Hamill, straight up, is playing mm-hmm. into the paranoia of Star Wars fans who are like, Luke isn't in the trailer. Luke isn't in the trailer. Why isn't Luke in the trailer? And he just, like, goes around taking pictures of, like, him on milk cartons that say, where's Luke Skywalker? (laughs) So, I've... If we're going to look at good marketing campaigns, I think that's one reason why, even if you're not a Star Wars fan, you're going to see these movies. Because they're just Mm -hmm. good movies. They've advertised it to where it looks like a good film. And I think that's what's going to separate it from the prequels is the prequel trailer was fun. If you liked star Wars, not so much if you weren't into star Wars. And I think that's what makes the big difference here is even if you aren't into star Wars, those trailers are just good trailers. Mm-hmm. Although I do have to bring up like one thing about marketing, uh, another movie that's coming out um, the same weekend is Sisters, <laughs> and I just saw one trailer, the recent trailer that they did for it. It's obvious that they know they have no chance. I mean, Alvin the Chipmunks have been doing a similar thing, but they're more aware that um, people are going to not be able to sell, be able to get tickets. They're going to have their kids with them, so they'll go, okay, we're already here, we're going to take them to that. But for Sisters, they did sort of like a parody thing, of basically parodying the Star Wars trailers, like all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And the one thing that made me go like, okay, I feel sympathy for this movie was at the very end where they even cut to like a the Star Wars style font and it said, hashtag, you can see both. <laughs> Here's the like, thing, though. I, I, it, it doesn't look like a good movie to begin with. It doesn't matter what their marketing is. And it's also one of those movies that you've heard about years ago. And mm-hmm. now it's finally coming out, which in itself is a horrible sign. But mm-hmm. even before they did that, in, because that is a great hashtag, mm-hmm. even before, did those trailers look interesting to you at all? No. Well, no, not really. It's yeah. the same old tired formula. Mm-hmm. You know, uptight sister, fun sister. It's like, and, really? And the actors, Again? Th- you expect more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, any movies in December you guys are interested in seeing? Other than Star Wars, no, not in December. Not really. Like, the only other thing that's barely catching my eye is concussion, but after hearing, like, some controversy about that, I'm all, yeah, I'm not that into it anymore. 
I mean, I would say Hateful Eight, however, that's limited. I mean, this is Austin for me, so it will be here and we'll get 70 millimeter, et cetera, et cetera. But that's technically a January mm-hmm. film. What I find interesting is there are more films coming out in January that I'd rather see than in December, which is very different than what it should be. Yeah. Because you'll have uh, The Hateful Eight and you'll have Kung Fu Panda 3 unless they change that date. So that's right. already two other films. It Man 3 will be a limited release, but it's definitely something I'm interested in seeing. So it's a very interesting change from what it used to be, where January would be the dump month. And then February seems uh-huh. to be kicking off the season like really early. Yeah. Well, it's because like 2016, it has... Well, it mainly has, like, two or three big titles that everyone has been looking forward to for the past couple of years now. Which ones are you talking about? Because there's way more than just two or three that I'm looking at. 2016. Well, yeah, I'm just saying that, but... Okay, like, I didn't know how much people were looking forward to certain ones, but there are definitely a lot. 2016 is that big year. I'm going to say 2016 is going to be bigger than 2015, with the except you would have to take Star Wars out of that calculation. If you take Star Wars out of that calculation, I'm really looking forward to 2016 because you have Pride Mm -hmm. and Prejudice and Zombies, you have Deadpool, you have the Crossing Tiger sequel, all in February. You have Zoolander 2, which while I'm not really excited for, a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. And that's all in one month. You have Batman vs. Mm -hmm. Superman coming out, so that's going to be huge. You have the Civil War coming out. That one's going to be big as well. Ratchet and Clank movie is finally going to happen. I mean, you have another X-Men. You have a sequel to Alice. It just continues on. Finding Dory. And that's the first half Mm. of the year. Yeah. I I think 2016 is going to be a much bigger year than 2015. Because as we said at the beginning, we've barely been to the theater. The Two movies I saw before right. I saw Mockingjay were Spectre and Ghostbuster. Uh-huh. Or not Ghostbuster, sorry. Well, Goosebumps. <laughs> I was just reading Ghostbuster on the list of movies coming out next year. Goosebumps uh-huh. and Spectre. And I can't even remember the last movie I saw before those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. like, even me, I haven't seen a whole lot. Like, I've seen a bit more than you, like, the movies I've seen. Like, I've definitely seen uh, Ghostbusters. I've Goosebumps. seen uh, Sicario. Goosebumps, Which we are yeah. now going to be Goosebumps has Ghostbusters. Goosebumps. Yeah. There were ghosts I mean, in that movie. And, yeah. I mean, definitely, but I also saw Krampus and I saw The Night Before. Mm-hmm. But really, there wasn't a whole lot at this end of the year that I really felt. Yeah, I'm here right now. Sorry. Oh, I really I, want to go see that. Yeah, like, there were some dumb. things that seemed interesting to me, mainly because they were sort of like the big um, Oscar films. But a lot of it, I just went, yeah, right now I don't feel like going out of my way to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Basically, I work two jobs, so it's me. It's a time issue. I mean, there's been plenty of want. There's plenty of that I want to see, but at the same time, working two jobs, it's like, okay, when do I have time? And also, when do I have the money? Or you know, what movie do I actually want to see? It's kind of like a want versus need type of decision. Right. Um, but um, looking at the rest of the winter season, mm-hmm. uh. 
Dylan, is there anything that's striking you that's coming out in, like, um, January, February? The two I want to see is the new Quentin Tarantino movie, The Hateful Eight. That's one I definitely want to see. It looks like a bit of a mystery. Like, the, what is that one classic crime story, Ten Little Indians? Uh-huh. It looks definitely like around those lines. That should be an interesting twist for Tarantino's usual, you know, blood-filled crime drama. This would be more of a mystery-type drama. Uh-huh. And the second one I want to see is uh, DiCaprio's new one, The Revenant. Mm-hmm. The survival movie, so I think those two are ones I definitely am looking forward to seeing this coming winter. This is what I think uh-huh. is going to happen with The Revenant. What's that? I think Tom Hardy is going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Leonardo is going to get <laughs> oh, <no>. nominated <laughs> for Best Actor. Tom Hardy is going to win Best Supporting Actor. And Leo just has to sit there while his name isn't called yet again. That's wow. personally what I think is going to happen. I don't even need to see the movie to have that opinion. It just seems to be Leonardo DiCaprio's luck. The Bear's gonna win, not Leo. I, and I, <laughs> and even like at the beginning of this year when they were announcing like a lot of the movies, you could tell were like big Oscar contenders, like mainly with like a uh, Steve Jobs and the Danish Girl. Mm-hmm. Just hearing like the people being named off, my first thought is, yeah, he ain't gonna win it this year either. <laughs> Poor Leo. Oh, um. For- for me, like, I want to bring up one that's kind of been a bit, I guess, I guess it's Tumblr controversial, which you could take it either or, but, like, the premise interests me because I've always been interested in this particular thing, but now that I think about it, I was openly conscious because it was a January horror film. It's The Forest. Okay. Have you seen any previews for no, that? I've been hearing a lot about it. Give me a rundown. Uh, basically, there's this there's this actual place. Um, I think it's at the base of Mount Fuji, uh-huh. where I forget what the Japanese name for it, but it's basically the suicide forest, where for some oh, reason yeah. a lot of a lot of Japanese people go there to commit suicide. Like there are even signs there that try to boost up people that say, "Um, don't do it. You have so much to live for." And everything. It's a Japanese right, right. Golden Gate Bridge. Oh Jesus! Okay, that was a really, sort yeah, of that was yeah. a really bad joke because okay, yeah, but I I have well, harsh but the true. Well, I kept in a, I kept in a bad joke from earlier that now I feel compelled to say to cancel out yours. Because <laughs> you brought up um, what was it? Granted, I'm stealing this from a podcast that was in Austin, but it's just too good not to share. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, why wasn't F- Philip Seymour Hoffman seen more in Mockingjay Part Two? Why? Oh no, I do not want to know because the, this one. <laughs> because the heroine wasn't good enough. <laughs> Yeah, that's oh, worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're keeping it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I cite and that we, to the one of us podcast, uh, Mockingjay Part 2. Check that out, because I'm citing my sources. Everyone would say that's good. God. But, um, anyway, um, basically, um, this girl, um, basically she's from the United States. Mm-hmm. It also plays up on twins in the trailer, where her twin sister committed suicide there, so she has to fly over to Japan. And when I initially saw the trailer, um, with that kind of premise, I'm all, oh, it's, uh, it probably was originally a Japanese film that they adapted into English. Turns out it's an original piece. And the reason I saw that was because I know for, like, movies like The Grudge that take place in Japan but have American actors, they sort of have to figure out why are the American actors there. Uh, plus, it's based off a of Japanese property. But um, hearing about it, a lot of people are saying that this is another thing of whitewashing that it's also 
sort of playing up the celebrity of the Suicide Forests. But I honestly didn't pick up on any of that. Like, definitely, I did feel a bit weird of having the blonde white girl going to Japan when it could have been a story about probably something different. But granted, most people don't watch foreign films. Um, but I didn't get that they were playing up the celebrity of it. I felt that it was more, they were using it for a mystery as sort of a backbone. I don't know what you guys sort of think on these things. Yeah, I mean, Natalie Dormer, despite everything she's appeared in, especially Game of Thrones, isn't celebrity. Mm -hmm. I think it's really ridiculous for people to be making those comments because I think a lot of them see without seeing the trailer. Kind of the whole uh -huh. point of bringing an American into the film is he doesn't know how bad the forest is. It, it would mm -hmm. almost be like if a Japanese character went in there, it'd be like, really? You're, you're going to get, you've heard tales of this since you were a little kid. You should know better. While with an American going in, she's going to get the typical horror movie warning, don't go in there, and really not understand what she's getting herself into. It's just a good plot device. It frankly would be yeah. a completely different movie. And it's not like you can argue that they're, you know, blowing this up to be something the forest isn't. That's exactly what it is. I mean, yes, they're going to bring a horror mm -hmm. supernatural element to it. But frankly, how many people go in there? Like, it, that's what it is. It, it's kind of better right. that they're making it supernatural because otherwise it's just really, really, really dark. Yeah. Like, again, like, my only real big thing that got me out was, um, it's a January horror film, and those traditionally are not that good. Like, I'm holding out because it is something that, like, I've known about and I think could be a good plot device, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you kind of have to be wary about the early release date. I mean, I personally think that release dates are becoming less and less relevant, that's true. You know, because it used to be that you go see a horror film in October. Well, a lot of people forget mm -hmm. that Scream, the original, came out in December, around Christmas. Right. I think it was on Christmas. It was on Christmas, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. the fact that Batman vs. Superman is coming at the end of March? Mm -hmm. uh, so, and uh, Deadpool's coming in February. It's just, there are so many movies being released and movies don't want to compete with each other, that films that uh -huh. you would always expect to be coming out during the summer no longer are because they have too much competition. Yeah. And frankly, that, that's just how it's going to go. And I feel that as the years pass, that's just going to become what's expected, is that... Movies are going to come out, and pretty much every other week you're going to have the big superhero film. Because there are that many mm -hmm. superhero films that are coming out. I, it would take me two minutes to list all the superhero and comic adaptations coming out next year. Th <laughs> that's how much. And there's going to be a Star Wars film every single year now. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be just a crazy next couple of years. Yeah, there's just... Too many, frankly, I'm going to say it. There are too many movies, and this is where Netflix and Amazon are winning <laughs> because they can create as many original movies as they want and original TV series, and you can't use the excuse right. of, I don't want to go out. 
you can't use the excuse of money because really who's paying attention to their Netflix bill? It just comes in and it's auto paid, you know? And I think Netflix and Amazon are winning in regards to viewership because there's too much of the theater and you have to make choices and there's too many choices. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen Jessica Jones twice because my boyfriend is now watching it and I'm in the apartment and I've been rewatching Parks and Rec <laughs> with two other people because they are available to watch at any time. I am so far behind yeah. on TV shows that are playing now, despite the fact that I have access to these episodes. And it's just because yeah, the fact that Netflix and Amazon allow you to watch whenever you want, that's frankly what audiences want now. Mm-hmm. And I think also what's really helped is that these um, things that are on Netflix and Amazon have been high quality. Like Netflix, we've known for a long time, has been high quality, but um, Amazon has been slowly growing up. I mean, their big release this year was Chirac, which I've heard a lot of really good things, despite a lot of people not liking the trailers at first. Oh, and The Man in High Castle, the season two, definitely stepped it up. But that would be a conversation all its own and be a great podcast, is just original Mm -hmm. content for Netflix and Amazon. Because I definitely think people thought it'd be a fad. Arrested Development, the extra season, was not Mm -hmm. a good sign of what was to come. And Mm -hmm. we've seen it with the Emmy nominations and the Golden Globe nominations the past few years. They're competition. So I definitely think that'd be a great next podcast. Because Mm -hmm. um, which one of you guys covered the... What is it? The Super 7... Sense 8, I think. I think that was Dylan. I believe that was Dylan. Yeah, so there's definitely... Yeah, there's definitely plenty of material to discuss with those. So we'll put up a little poll, find out which ones you guys want to talk about, because there's a lot of original content. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't even realize it's original content until it puts up Netflix original content. Yeah, definitely. Again, it goes into the quality of the entire thing. Although, like... It's not even Netflix's fault, but they have pr- they have also proven that they're not that strong, like you said, with Arrested Development, but also with, uh, what is it, The Ridiculous Six. Yeah, that's Adam Sandler's fault. Yeah. I, I honestly tried to give that movie a chance. Like, when I thought it should be three-fourths of the way over, I still had more than an hour to go. I'm all, I have more to do with my life than to just sit here and not laugh. As much as I don't like taking what happened during production to affect whether or not I see a film. You know, there's been a lot of these accidents with stuntmen where they die on the set because there definitely were issues with how it was being run. I usually try not to have that effect if I'm going to watch the material. What happened with uh, the Adam Sandler film, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. I cannot support that. Yeah, and I, I understand that, like, the whole thing. Again, it goes into, like, sort of with our discussion of the forest where you hear so many different things. And even then, that was in the back of my mind when I was watching those parts. But at the same time, me, I'm more of a person just trying to judge the movie as itself. And as itself, it's just not that good. Yeah. There was also that expectation, because it's like, when was the last time you saw a good Adam Sandler flick? That's true. Although I honestly did enjoy Blended more than I didn't. 
But I think that brings us to the end of this. Um, but before we sign off, um, let's start with our one cool things. Uh, Dylan, did you want to start? I just want to wish you and Liz and all of our listeners and fans out there a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays and a Happy and Safe New Year. Uh, Liz? Yeah, I'm not going to get sentimental. I love American Horror Hotel. <laughs> I'm so glad Lady Gaga got nominated. So happy. And I am very glad that we each get our one minute to talk about something and not have a response. Because no one is going to change my opinion <laughs> about this season. They gave me vampires. I never thought they would do that. I am so happy. <laughs> no reply from you, Jose. You don't I get won't. to do that. Not while we're recording. But um, as for me, my one cool thing is um, I really have to thank uh, my cousins, uh, Raphael and Marissa. Um, they've been helping me with a script I've been writing to make a film. Um, they give me a lot of good feedback. They've read my recent draft, and they want to move along to a read-through phase with a bunch of their actor friends. So I really couldn't have made my script if it wasn't for their help. So I just want to tell them thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for helping me out with Everything, including stuff like Sweeney Todd. This has turned into, like, the Thanksgiving one-minute <laughs> s- special cool thing, and you guys have made me feel horrible. Did you discuss this when, like, my part of the recording dropped? It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do our one-minute thing, and we're going to thank a bunch of people, and Liz won't know, and she will seem like a selfish you-know-what. I-, I thought we weren't going to comment on our one cool things on the air. I am commenting on the <laughs> entire one cool thing on the air. Yeah. This okay. is ending up in the blooper reel again, I suspect. Because you like Probably. putting me in the blooper reel. <laughs> yeah, it, it is fun. It is fun to just... Well, both of you just have great fodder that I just love to mess around with. There's a reason I screw up one files. day, too. You're going to screw up one day, too. Oh, I screw up all the time, but I'm the editor. <laughs> <laughs> okay before we get any more crazy um let's uh sign out um you can follow us on facebook just look for couch potatoes um dylan does a great job at running the page and you can find us on twitter i am at jose luis solo i'm at dylan m Patton 32 and i'm at virtual lizard ready to watch tvs or movies there's always something on so don't drop the remote for more original podcasts, videos, and pop culture news, visit Overmental.com. Thanks for listening.